Welcome to the Newport Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Newport Church is a non-denominational, spirit-filled church, part of the Dove International Apostolic Network of Churches and Ministries. We are located between Mannheim and Lidditz in northern Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We look forward to seeing you. And now, here is today's message. I'm going to hand it over to Merle and Cherie, who are going to be preaching together this morning. So, super exciting. Tag teaming. Come on. I get to tag team with my lovely bride this morning. It's going to be fun. When you have two... Anything could happen when you have two powerful people who uh, are working together to bring a message and decide what that message will be. You can, <laughs> you never know where you're going to wind up, right? It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Good job. Hey, I uh, just want to let everybody know that the the campaign for the building project is up and it's available. You can give into that campaign into. Uh, the funds for that into the building fund. Uh, so, yeah, just want to let you guys know that that's there. And we'll be talking about that periodically uh, over, the, uh, over the coming months here. Even remember that even as we start the projects, we don't have enough money to finish the projects yet. So if you would give into that, that would be awesome. And we're aiming for 200000 over the next three years. Yep. Amen. Good. Okay, great. Hey, let's have some fun this morning. There is a really big event that's happening. It all comes down to this event, and it all, you know, is pivotal around this event, right? Can you guess what that event is? I have no idea. It's Valentine's Day oh. coming up, right? <laughs> Isn't it? It's Valentine's Day that's coming up. So true or false, you can just shout it out here. True or false, men have more taste buds than women. False. That's right. Research from Yale University has found that women actually have more taste buds on their tongues. About 35% of women and only 15% of men can call themselves super tasters, which means that they identify flavors such as bitter, sweet, and sour more strongly than others. Okay, another one. True or false, studies show that men who kiss their wives before going to work in the morning lived longer than husbands who didn't. I wonder why. I love this one. <laughs> I, it's true. And, and men who did so are, more, are also more likely to make more money. Come on, guys. Oh, come on. It, it, you know, it's, it's not too late to do it if you, if you need to start, you know. It's healthy. It's healthy. There we go. All right. It also, uh, that uh, studies show that married men live longer than single men. That's true. Probably because you guys bail us out and say, don't do that stupid thing. I used to free climb. You know what free climbing is? Climbing rocks without any ropes. Until my mother-in-law got a hold of me and said, the minute you have a grandchild, you mean that you give me a grandchild, you have a child, you are not allowed to free climb anymore. And we've listened to that. So, true or false, men blink 15 times per minute and women blink 19 times per minute. It's actually false. Men blink 11 times per minute and women blink 19 times per minute on average. Interesting. Almost twice. Almost twice as much. All right. So, in Russia, oh, sorry. 
uh, windshield wipers were invented by a woman. True or false? True. Windshield wipers were invented by a woman. Okay. Uh, there was one in here that I wanted to talk about now. I forget where it is. It's about we Russia, yeah. Know about the one right. Now, now I can't find it. Baby, you better save me here. Yeah, but that's not, that's not the one I wanted. Okay, so you can see how this is going to go this morning. This is going to go really good. Uh, we're here together. We're going to be tag teaming. Um, and it's going to be, oh, this is the one I wanted. Sorry. So what is the most amount of children born to one mother in the world? 69. 69 babies from one mother. I mean, I'm sure after like seven, like they just fell out. I'm, I don't I don't, know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> this lady was from Russia and she gave birth to 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets. She eventually went on to marry someone else and had 18 more children. I think because the guy died. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, all right, let's get into the Bible here this morning. <laughs> let's get in. So, yeah, let's pull it out. <laughs> pull us out of this tailspin, babe. All right, so this morning we get to talk about marriage, and I think it's great for us to do it together because whenever Merle's talking about marriage, after he's done, he's like, babe, the whole time. I'm talking about something, or opening the word. He's like, people are just looking at you, and then looking at me, and then looking at you. Especially when I make a joke. Like, I make a joke, and then everyone's like, is Shri okay with that? Is it okay? (laughs) So, originally, I was supposed to uh, preach this morning by myself, but he's really my favorite person, and I love when we get to flow together. Um, And I thought maybe this would be a great time for us to get to model this together where we get to be husband and wife in ministry together and you get the best of both of us. So is that okay this morning as if we go for that? I'll take the best of both of you. I mean, mean, of you. (laughs) There's only one of me, love. Yes, yes. Two of me. But anyway, (laughs) when we talk about marriage, I think sometimes we can really pigeonhole it into what we think it means. And today I really want to lean into what God wants Mm. to say when he's talking to... um, us as his sons and daughters, and, yes. and we have all kinds of pictures out there about what marriage looks like, you know, the grumpy husband who's bitter and frustrated, and the irritated wife who's just put up with a lot, he can't even find the scissors Never. in the drawer, you know, <laughs> it's in the drawer where I told him to look, and, and he couldn't find it, does that happen in your house too? So we have all these stereotypes <laughs> out there, and some of them are more real than not real, but also some are really a result of dysfunction and sin that wasn't part of God's design and what he ever meant for us to have in marriage. Mm. And I really believe that when we're praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth, a different picture of men and women working together is what he had in mind. And we want to really pray. Um, I loved the video from the guys in London. Wasn't that exciting to see what was happening? Uh, There's a move of God on the earth, and I believe that part of God's strategy and his intention, if you go back to his original purpose, is that whole healthy families will change the earth. And in Lancaster County, uh, we have a lot of issues. We have our issues, right? We have our struggles here. We have our regional stuff we have to kick out of the church. But one of the things we do have is the family mountain. 
-hmm. And it's not that the Family Mountain is always perfect, okay? Because we can talk about some, some tough stuff, and we're going to talk about some tough stuff today as we really go and drill into what God means when he says, I want you to fill the earth. And he gives us a mandate. Mm -hmm. And whether you're married or you're single, there's going to be stuff in it for you because this is part of the inheritance that God has given us. And it's meant to be a blessing and it's not meant to be a curse. And we're meant to walk in unity with one another. And in order for us to see the harvest that is coming before Jesus comes back, there has to be a picture of what marriage looks like that is different than the picture of what the world gives us. Yeah, come on. So are you guys ready to go on a journey today? I mean, I wanted to kind of like just open it up and say we're going for all that God has in this. We're not going to settle for just brokenness and dysfunction. But Come we want to lean in to say, God, what is your picture and what did you mean when you put man and woman together in the Garden of Eden? So we're going to tag team about that this morning. Yeah, our goal here is to have uh, thriving and supportive marriages where, that are mutually encouraging in Newport Church where both parties feel safe and accepted. Okay. Yeah, and we want to be able to navigate life for the long haul in marriages. If you're taking notes, guys, and I really encourage you, if you ever, you probably can't ever see me on the front row, but I'm hardly ever in this building without my Bible and a notebook. And the reason I'm doing that is because, number one, it's another way of getting it in. But number two, there's very few times in our week that we're actually diving deep into the world, into the word. And we need to like build our lives upon firm foundation, right? Which means you go back into it and you study and you seek it out and you look for it and you ask God for revelation. So you know, I'm fully expecting next week when Pastor Morrow, whoever's bringing the word, there'll be a, a lot more notebooks all throughout this space as we're writing. Yeah. But Ecclesiastes 7.9 is one of the first ones that you can write down. And it gives this beautiful picture. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And the threefold, you know, you have in a marriage a man and a woman, but then there is the presence of God. Yes. That binds us together. And it's this revelation of God. And the beautiful picture of it is when we're working together in our, our calling, mm -hmm. that God is in the midst of it and we are stronger together. Mm -hmm. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, start here in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 8. And uh, just to kind of provide some context here, the Pharisees come to Jesus. So if you're following along in the church app, we have some of these scriptures in there and then some um, some of our development of this sermon happened after those scriptures were put in the church app, okay? So you got to take good notes this morning. All right, so the, the context of Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 8, is that there was this broader dialogue happening among the Pharisees about, you know, can you, and we, we know this from other writings, can you divorce your wife for any reason? And so they want Jesus to weigh on, in on this. They want Jesus to come and, and speak into this, this problem, this thing that they're dialoguing about as Pharisees. And Jesus kind of sidesteps the whole question. 
And so they say, hey, is it, is it right for a man to divorce a woman? And Jesus kind of goes on this roundabout way, and he comes back, and what he does is he appeals to the original intent of marriage. And so if you read this scripture only with, within the context and the framework of, oh, talking about uh, divorce and remarriage, you know, then, then you can miss some of the deep theology that is uh, given here. And we want to go into that, what Jesus talks about. So Jesus sidesteps the, the topic of divorce in their question, and he goes back to the beginning. And he kind of like resets the bar. I, we heard a really good message about this, and, we're, and some of it's going to work its way into this message here this morning. Uh, from Dan Fairley uh, recently, but Jesus kind of resets the bar and he goes back to the beginning and talks about God's original intent for mankind and for marriage, and he starts to talk in like hope-filled terms. He starts to give a life-giving explanation of marriage when they're trying to talk about ending marriages. Jesus is talking about what is a life giving marriage and where does it come from and how does it function so uh, while we know that there are answers you know about the divorce question we're not preaching about that this morning all right and and whatever background you come from whatever experiences you've had in your life there is grace for you amen there is grace for you in the presence of the Lord. But God's heart about marriage is that it is a lifelong commitment, that it is, it is a place where his kingdom can manifest in our midst. So are you there in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 6? All right, let's read it. And the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, "Is my voice is a little scratchy this morning. From I was really singing in a high key in uh, worship. Anyway, is it lawful to divorce one... Uh, divorce one's wife for any cause. And he answers, he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So he didn't answer the question. He says, Have you not read? And Dan Fairley looks at, Have you not read your Bible? <laughs> right? Like there's this place where uh, these guys have committed themselves to Scripture. But Jesus' first question to them is, Have you not read? The very thing you've committed yourself to, have you not read? So in Scripture, there is the foundation for marriage. Have you not read that from the beginning he made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. We're going to unpack this here for a little bit. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Then they said to him, verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, tell your neighbor, say from the beginning. From the beginning, from the beginning it was not so. So what we see here, and, and many times when you hear a message uh, uh, during a wedding, you hear the pastor stand up or whoever's officiating the wedding, and they say, marriage was God's idea. They might not say it in that voice, but like marriage was God's idea. It was there from the beginning. You know, he's the one who instituted it. And, and they'll go on and we see that, that God created marriage before the fall, before the fall of man, before Eve and Adam sinned. God had created the unity and the institution of marriage. In fact, God is the one who presented Eve to Adam, right? Right? And so we see that as a, a part of the first 
uh, marriage ceremony, really, when God comes and brings, and that's kind of what we do even today, is like the, the father of the bride comes and presents the bride to the, to the young gentleman getting married, right? And so God is the one who did that originally, as he brings Eve to Adam and presents her uh, to him. And so I, I like what Dan Fairley says here. He says, God created male and female as a marriage of equals, made in the image of God. So before the fall, God created marriage as a marriage of equals, where marriage, are, it's not just an earthly institution, it's a godly institution, it's a divine institution, and this isn't just a plain old human that I'm married to, this is a human made in the image of God, right? right? And that's reciprocal, right? Absolutely. Amen. All right. Good. All right. So, and so what it, before the fall, we, we love, we work together, we build together, and we love together, we live together, and the hierarchy of, of, of uh, you know, of dominance and dominion, that kind of thing, or not dominion, but dominance over one another, really only comes in after the fall, after the curse, so Ephesians 5 talks about mutual submission. We're not going to spend too much time there. I've preached on that before here. Where it, In verse uh, 21, it says, submitting to one another out of, the rever out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes on and defines what that mutual submission looks like. That wives, you submit to your husband and you respect him. Husbands, you, love your, you lay down your life for your wife and you love her. So that's the definition of what mutual submission actually winds up looking like. But as a New Testament believer, we are reaching back to pre-curse. That's what the gospel does. The gospel takes us back to before the curse. It brings us back into relationship with our Heavenly Father, the same type of relationship that Adam and Eve had before the curse, the gospel brings us back into that. So as Christians, as believers in Christ who believe the gospel, who live out the gospel, our pattern for what marriage looks like is actually a pre-curse pattern of marriage. Yeah? Now you can have marriage pre-curse or post-curse. <laughs> All right? Pre-curse is way better. That's actually God's plan. Okay? And so, um, in the beginning, Jesus comes back and he appeals to the law of the beginning. He appeals, and we're going to spend some time there. In the beginning, it was not so. So I'm preaching. You interrupt me whenever you want to interrupt me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll interrupt All right. It's coming. Okay. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so in the beginning, it was not so. Jesus refers back to the law of the beginning, where before sin entered, sin entered the world through even Adam. Adam's disobedience, marriage was a perfectly mutual, beneficial relationship where both individuals were dedicated to the celebration and the support of one another. You couldn't do it alone. There was a mandate that was given to mankind in the garden that could not be done alone. And so we see kind of the angst around marriage in the world today. That angst is not a result of marriage. As the world would tell you, oh, you're married, oh, you must be depressed. <laughs> no, that angst is a result of sin. It's a result of sin. It's a result of brokenness. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. We'll come back to Matthew chapter 9 a little bit later. 
But Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. That word man there is mankind. Okay? It's, it's the, the general term for man. It's not just the male being. But it says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion. Let, let them, right? So man being them, plural, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. My dad would always pray this every morning before hunting season. He would be like, God, you have given us dominion <laughs> over these deer, over these, you know. And so that, that amen, I, I probably do the same. But verse 27 it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So mankind is male and female. Mankind as one is male and female. And God created male and female in his image. Male and female, he created them, verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So pastors, uh, if you guys were here, how many of you were here at the Sweetheart Banquet this past week? That was fun. I was having fun. I don't know if you were having fun. I was having fun. That was a blast. Um, but uh, Brian and Christina Flewelling from Petra, we had them come as our, our guest speakers for the night. And they kind of, they, they touched on this, but I want to go a little bit deeper in this. And if, if you're here and you're not married, don't check out, okay? Don't check out. If you're here and you're single, don't check out. This, this uh, has uh, implications for you as well. So, but when God says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, in verse 27, so God created them in his own image, he created them male and female, he created them. Firstly, we see that God created male and female. That, that's, why, um, that's why Christians, uh, we have a lot to say about like trans, transgenderism, it, because God has a lot to say about it. Because that's, that's part of his heart. God has a lot to say, and God wants healthy marriages in the earth. And so that's, you know, we're, we're not just you know, picking on a, a topic to make everybody feel bad. No, 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 no. It's because God has, this, there's this thing of original intent for mankind that can only function out of what his original design was. And so that's why it's so important. So healthy marriages not only cause us to grow, right? Like you, see, you hear that saying sometimes that, that marriage is there to make us holy, not make us happy, right? It should there, make us happy. It should too. make us happy too, yeah. <laughs> Helps Most make days, us holy. yes, <laughs> yeah. But marriage is there, you know. It, so do, it doesn't only bring sanctification to us as individuals, but it is a healthy marriage that changes the world. Healthy marriages change the world, and it brings stability to society. The bedrock of stability in society is healthy families, healthy homes, healthy marriages. So in, in this uh, scripture here in Genesis, way back in the beginning, which Jesus, the author, appeals to, he, appeal, he appeals to in the beginning, we see that the plural name for God, Elohim, is used. So it's, it's God saying, let us. There's this Elohim is as if God is discussing amongst himself. Have you ever talked to yourself? God does too, praise God. You know, like, so it's a godly thing. <laughs> 
You know, there's this, God is saying Elohim, so it's, it, it is the, the work of the Trinity. The creation and marriage is the creation story and the creation of man and wife and male and female together is the work of the Trinity. Where the, and really what, is, what we see here is God makes them male and female and God in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we have the Father who speaks, who gives identity, who speaks his will over us. We have the Son who has become man on our behalf and died to take our place on the cross, died to p- take the punishment for the sins that separate us from the Father. And we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us and through us and brings us into our journey of, of walking out our Christian life with the Lord. Those three come together, and it is the unity between a male and a female that displays the unity of the Trinity. That's why male and female are in the likeness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not the same, but it is like. Tell your neighbor, say like. I'm going to jump into this because, I mean, we're in Lancaster County, if you're watching online. We're in Lancaster County where there's a lot of kind of fundamentalist, uh, conservative influence. And there's a lot of distortion around unity and what that's supposed to look like. Um, how many of you ever heard, well, I'm the head of this home, so it's my way or the highway. And that's Bible authority for you. Okay. Well, when good we luck l- with that. Good luck with that, number one. <laughs> no. But number two, do you see that manifesting as the nature of Christ? or as the nature of the Trinity? If you don't see that fruit coming out as the nature of Christ and as the nature of the picture of the Trinity working together in that oneness, you're going to have a distorted picture of what headship and what authority is supposed to look like in a home. That's a good place to say amen. Amen. But it's deep because it speaks, especially in this region, to the abuse of um, headship and, and sometimes the abuse that uh, daughters have been raised up under or sons have been raised up under because it's talking a lot about fear and control. And um, I heard Dave Hess talk about where it says uh, in, in the, uh, Corinthians, the head of every man is woman, and that is distorted to say like every man is the head of every woman. And that's not really what it says when you actually look at the scripture and what that means. And we need to address some of the cultural strongholds because they bring forth woundedness, don't they? And they bring forth a place of abuse that doesn't look like Jesus. Hmm. And what kind of relationship would you have if every time you went to a decision, the other person said, I just want you to know that I'm the final decision on this. (laughs) So we can have a discussion, but at the end of the day, I'm in charge here. That would be dysfunctional, and that wouldn't be healthy. And it wouldn't look like how the Holy Spirit works with us. Does the Holy Spirit come into you when he's dealing with the sin issue and just blow everything out and be, by, by the way, I'm in charge of you? Or is this, is this place of relationship where God will, will deal with one thing and bring about wholeness and peace and grace and his freedom, right? The fruit of it is different. So I, I'm just going to, I mean, maybe it's my prophetic gift come out, but let's blow the, the holy cows out of the water 
Because the reason we're always talking about the Trinity and how it looks like is because whenever we lead, we don't get an excuse to lead poorly because the Bible says I'm the head and I can be a jerk about it. Because that's not how Jesus led and that's not how the Father leads. Yeah. And that's a distortion. That's a Genesis 3 sin product, right? Mm -hmm. And not a picture of, okay, God, you are preeminent. At your name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are the Lord. But you do it in a way that leads us to your goodness. You do it in a way that brings out the unique identity that you've put in each one of us. You're not there to demolish us or to put, point out what's wrong or to push or to shove us into your way. But you're there to build us up to look like Christ. And so that's this picture, and that's the power of the Trinity where God says, I've made you. I've created you in my image and my likeness. That's the whole purpose of the theology where Merle's saying, you are created male and female in the image of God, a place of honor. And it's to look like the unity mm-hmm. that is in the Trinity. Yeah, the oneness of the Trinity that exists between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is to be mirrored in the husband wife god relationship on earth that's one of the reasons why the enemy hates marriage so much is not just because he hates people which is true people are the image bearers of god but marriage in itself is an image bearer of the unity of god and the oneness that god has That's why the enemy hates it and fights against it so much because it is the government institution of authority that has been given the mandate and the authority to trample down Satan himself. It is Satan's arch enemy because you have been given as as to uh, a husband and wife have been mandated by God to have dominion over the earth. Well, who are we having dominion over? Who is spreading chaos around the earth? Satan. And so it is the unity between a husband and wife that has the authority to take Satan out and to say, no, 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 we don't do that here. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. We don't do that. We don't accept the chaos that you're trying to spread in our home, in our family, in our region, in our area, in our state, in our nation, in our world. The theology of dominion has been given to this institution. One of the words for, when you study the word headship, or the head, it actually means the headwaters of a river that release it to flow. So if you can picture your Father God in heaven being the head of all things, the source of life, the headwaters, that is releasing life wherever it touches and wherever it reaches. That's a picture of God's type of headship. And that's what husbands, like the, the term, and you probably heard me say this before, like husbandry is like gardening, right? Like you don't make the plant grow. You provide the environment to nurture the plants so that they can grow to their fullest potential. That's what God does for us, and that's as husband, that's what you're supposed to be doing in your home for your wife and for your children is creating the nurturing environment for them to succeed. That what God has put inside of them, the potential that God has put inside of them to come out. So I have a good story about this. When we first got married, um, part of our marriage mission, we knew we were going to go into ministry. 
And, um, but at that time, we were traveling the world, and we had literally, like, no money, right? I think like, it was, like, $30 like or something. Like, $5 most of the time. <laughs> and we were, like, God had put us somewhere in some nation, and we're there with five bucks, and we're just really living by faith and really pursuing what we thought God was calling us to pursue. And you might say, that's cool for you, but I would translate that to whatever God has called you on your marriage to do, whether it's in business, whether it's forging... Um, a generational legacy out of dysfunctional background. You know, you're rebuilding the desolations of many generations. Come Whatever on. God has called you to as a couple that you know is part of your commission together. Whatever it will look like, it's going to be unique to each one. But there's always an element of working together in that. And I remember it was really hard for me because we were always like, we had no money and we didn't know when we were going to get more. And yet we we're out there following God. And, and Merle would say to me, he's like, honey, it's not enough that you rely on my faith. I really need you to get your own faith. And that was like, you know, like, in other <laughs> words, babe, don't keep coming to me like, what are we going to do? Oh, my word. You know, I'm so stressed and anxiety. He's like, but, hon, if we are called to this, there's an element where I have faith and there's an element where you have faith. Yeah. And over the years, I mean, there was a moment of time where God had me sow a significant gift when I knew that money was more in control of my obedience than I was in surrender to God in obedience. It was always like, oh, wait, well, God, if there is money, then it must be your will. But how many of you know that oftentimes when God asks you to do something, you first take a step of faith and then another step of faith, and then he provides and shows the way forward? It's not always that he's going to give you everything you need before you even start. And so that was my journey of learning to trust God and not to let mammon be in control of my obedience to God. Come on. And now there's That's times. Good, That's good preaching, babe. <laughs> now there's times when he's like, honey, I don't know about this big thing that you have faith for. <laughs> she done went and got her own faith. I got and now my sometimes own I'm faith. just along for the ride. You know, and sometimes <laughs> I'm the one stressing him out because I'm like, no, hon, I have this word of the Lord. I know it's from God. And he has learned how to identify when I have a word of God and to be like, you know what, I'm going to. Be, yep. I'm going to be behind you. I'm going to be beside you. I'm going to say, yes, I'll agree to that, even if I don't see how, and even if the revelation came to you and didn't come to me. Mm -hmm. And there's times when I do the same for him, that he has a word of faith. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just jump in here. No so part. there's this teaching out there that, like, well, uh, if, 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 if man is the head, that God will only speak his will to the man. Is that, is that what happened to Mary and Joseph? Uh, they preach in my revelation. Who, did, who did Gabriel go? Who did get, well, you weren't going to preach that this that's morning, good, were that's you? That's good. Okay. You know, I just have to say, right. so many times he preaches my content, and it's my turn to preach, and I'm like, but y'all took everything. No, not every time. <laughs> but it's a good word. Come on, babe. Preach yeah, it hard. Come on. Preach All right. it good. All right, so who, who was it that Gabriel came to? Mary. And only went to Joseph after Mary, Right? Okay, just there we'll, goes we'll, all our we'll leave that there for us to ponder. And he didn't even go to her dad. That's another sin in Lancaster County. I'm just saying. Hey, if anyone wants to date my daughters, you got to come talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I'm, I'm just old school that way. I, you, you get a lot more respect for me if you do that. Anyway, mm -hmm. all right. So. I'm just saying, listen, it's great to talk theology, but our theology has to go to where our feet walk. Come on. Right? And when there's a loud voice out there that is a distortion of God's truth, the truth is actually found in here. And if there's a conflict and a clash between our culture and the word of God, when we are legitimately wanting to be obedient followers of Jesus, 
When that culture comes and the word of God is showing me something that I grew up experiencing, obedience means we say, okay, God, lead me in this. I might be afraid of this. I might not understand this, but I want to walk out kingdom culture because that's where the power is released for what God wants to do on the earth. Can someone say amen? Amen. Amen. I just want to call out someone. If this whole thing about headship is really tough for you to understand, I have seen Jamie, he doesn't know I'm doing this, I have seen Jamie live this out in a powerful way in the last few years. And he will mentor you and he will speak to you about what it means to make a way for your wife's gifts to thrive and flourish. And I've just seen that in a powerful way. So if this just, if you don't, if you just need to talk about it more, he's a good man to talk about. Just got to call you out, Jamie. Love you, brother. (laughs) Seeing you doing that. (laughs) Awesome. So, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you (laughs) with your revelation. Did I not finish something? I forget. Just go for it, babe. All right. (laughs) All right, so not only are people made in the image of God, but the relationships in marriage is an image of the relationship that God has within himself. That's why, uh, so that is also a picture of God, that displays a picture of God on the earth, which is what then, uh, you know, Jesus talks about and Paul talks about speaking about the unity in marriage being the same as Christ and the church. Like that's why it's a model and a picture of God's government of heaven on earth. And this is kind of also what's frustrating sometimes, like when you, when you know you're getting it wrong because you know it can be so right, <laughs> Right? Like, like there's this, there can be a frustration there. And there's, there's some really practical advice that Jesus gives about marriage back in Matthew chapter 9. So let's go back there and let's go through the real practical advice that Jesus lays out in marriage. Now, praise God, we, uh, last weekend, was it last weekend? Was our 23-year wedding anniversary. Woo, 23 that's, years. That's why we were not here. We were away celebrating our anniversary. That's right. You know, things are priority. Amen. All right. So, Matthew, uh, I don't know what I was trying to say with that. That was bad. You skipped ahead. Uh, did I? Yeah. Oh, no. Did I? That's okay. Go for it. Okay. Keep me on track. No, you're fine. What do you want to say? No, it's fine. Okay. All right. So, um, back in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 9, we just have a couple more minutes here. First of all, this is Jesus speaking. So, this isn't just like a teacher of the day, a good, this is the author. This is the author himself. And when the author speaks, you listen, right? So Jesus is speaking about the original intent of marriage. And so what does he say? Let's break this down. He says, first of all, man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, become one flesh, and they will become one flesh. The two will become one flesh. So in, he's speaking original intent principles to the Hebrew culture. So when he says a man will leave father and mother, there's this understanding of what a Hebrew man would have received in the home of his father and mother. There would be industry that he had received. There would be identity that he had received because of his home. There would be from his father and his mother. There would be resource. There would be security. There would be equipping. There would be history. And Jesus is saying that when you, when you go get married, you are leaving that to form and forge a new identity, a new industry, a new resourcing, a new place of equipping, a new place of history with your wife. So you're forging that together. 
with your wife. So he's speaking directly to men. He says that men, you leave your father and mother and you what? Hold fast to your wife. Remember that, um, uh, that movie, Master and Commander? Yeah. If it was a bad movie, I, I apologize. I <clears throat> but uh, I just remember, I remember the guy's knuckles, this old seaman, this old grizzly, salty seaman, right? And like they're about to head into a battle and he comes up to a younger midshipman and he shows him his knuckles and tattooed on his knuckles is hold fast, right? Now, in, in, that's sailor speak because like in the middle of a storm, you know, they're out there when you're, you're on a, a rope that's tied to a sail, like your life depends on your ability to hold fast. Jesus is saying, listen, husbands, there's a place where you have to hold fast. In the same way that you hold fast, you, you grip something and not let it go, this is not going to be ripped out of my hands because there's things that happen in life. There's things that happen in life that are going to try and tear you apart. They're going to try and rip you apart. But Jesus is saying, leave your father and mother and cleave, another translation says, or hold fast to your wife. There's an intentionality with, that is required, men. And so many times our intentionality can go into the dating game. I don't know if it's a game, but activity. activity. Thank you. She makes me better already. So much can be the intentionality can go into the dating side of it. And then there's this, there's this trap for men specifically that the longer you're with each other, you can kind of just disengage. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't disengage. Engage. Hold fast. Tell your neighbor, say, hold fast. Hold fast. Hold fast. Yeah. All right. Because you're going to need it sometimes. Right, right. Yeah. Don't hold loosely, hold fast. There's intentionality, there's engagement in marriage, especially for men to not disengage. Uh, uh, some friends of ours, uh, some of you might know the story, uh, but some friends of ours after how many years of marriage? Like 10, 10 12 years of marriage, um, the, the wife had had an accident and some different things had happened and she completely lost her memories of dating, getting married, having her children. And had this sense of like, I know, I, I know that I'm married to this man, but I don't have, I don't remember the history. I don't remember like him winning me. I don't remember any of that. And, and uh, our friend was just really frustrated by this. The, the, the man was really frustrated by this. He's like, you know, like God, like how, you know, I have all these men. I, I know what our, the, our relationship is like, and, but she doesn't. And it feels like there's this disconnect. And God said, well, win her again. You want her the first time, win her again. Win her back again. And, and, he, and he did, and praise God, like they're in a really healthy place today. But like there's this intentionality where you hold fast, where you, you continually strive. You, you don't just disengage, but you continually grow in winning your wife again. Oh, wives, you missed a really good spot to say amen. Isn't that what it means when it talks about you're going to wash your wife with the, with the word mm -hmm. and talking about this place of revitalization and encouragement that brings life, right? That doesn't bring just control or competition or fear, but it brings forth life. Yeah, so Jesus says, hold fast. And in sailor speak, that means like to bear down and fight through the storm. So there's things that come in your marriage. There's things that come in your life where for all intents and purposes, until you figure it out, you just got to hold on. Amen? You just got to hold on and not give up. 
Okay? So, and then it goes on in verse 6. It says, Jesus goes on and says, So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined. Tell your neighbor, say, God has joined together. Let not man separate. So there's this place where God in the beginning comes to mankind and, and out of one creates two. Eve was brought out of, of Adam, his rib out of his side, out of one creates two. Well, marriage is God bringing two back together to be one. And that's the picture of mankind. That's the picture of unity of mankind. And what marriage is, is that there is this mandate, there's this purpose, there's this, that only, only two, a husband and a wife, can actually procreate, create children, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, we're created for that purpose. We're, there's other purposes we're created for. We're pre- created for a relationship with God. And you can do that while you're single. You can do that while you're single, if you're, if you're not married. But there is some things that you cannot do. There are some mandates of God you cannot fulfill outside of the unity of marriage in mankind. So Jesus is talking about this. He says, where God has joined together, let not man separate. This is the reuniting of mankind. This is where marriage between a man and a woman is God bringing the fullness of mankind back into created purpose back into um, the institution or the governance that was given dominion. And then he goes on, you know, after the Pharisees say, well, why did Moses then permit us to divorce our wives? Why did Moses say, write a divorce uh, certificate? Number one, we need to understand that in the Hebrew culture, women were not legally allowed to divorce their husband. They didn't have any rights. There, There wasn't any divorce rights for women in that culture. So today, that's different in our culture. But so, you know, like the, in John 4, the, the woman at the well, right, Jesus is talking to her, like this is a woman who has gone through major rejection because she's had five husbands and the one she's with is not her husband, right? So there's, this is a woman who has been rejected time and time and time and time. And Jesus comes to her and Jesus says, I'm coming to you. See, Jesus kind of flips the script on the whole culture of women in, in the day, in, in uh, the children of Israel, in the nation of Israel. In that whole culture, he comes in and says, listen, I'm coming after you. The world, the culture you live in might think that you, you're not valuable, that you are uh, just put out to trash, you're put out to whatever, but I'm coming after you. And Jesus comes and has a divine encounter just for her. But so Jesus lays down that the problem, he, he defines this uh, all right here. He says, the problem for brokenness in marriage is hard-heartedness. Because, yeah, there's things you got to fight through, right? There's, there's things you hold fast on. There's things that, that you endure. There's things that you learn and you grow. And as, as, as Christ is being formed in you and your discipleship journey, Christ is being formed in me and my discipleship journey. And, and guess what? God uses that in each other to make us more into the image of Christ. Like that's, that's a healthy thing. And you, you figure that out and you work that out and you're committed to growing that together as we're both coming into the image of Christ okay and there's times where when you don't understand it you got to work at it to figure out what's happening figure out you know like i'm sorry i didn't mean to do that like i wasn't saying that that's not my motivation all of those things you got to figure that out and it takes time it takes intentionality but in that place you know 
Jesus says, says the, the challenge of brokenness in marriage is hard-heartedness. Because to do that well, to do that interaction well, you need to have a supple heart. You need to have a heart that's willing to be vulnerable to one another. You need to have a heart that's soft towards one another. And Jesus says, listen, the reason that divorce exists, that brokenness in marriage exists, is because of hard-heartedness. Now listen, we're not saying that if, if you've been in an abusive situation, that you've been in an abusive marriage and somebody is like dominating and, and, and physically abusing you, emotionally abusing you, that kind of thing, that you need to stay in that place. You can put boundaries down, right? You can put boundaries down. Healthy boundaries are a good thing. However, it is, it is still a result of hard-heartedness. Even if it's the hard-heartedness of the abuser, right? So let's talk about that a little bit. So um, the problem, and, and many marriages are not in an abusive place, praise God, you know, but the, the problem for that cuts against unity, that cut, cuts against like we're in this together. And there is a divine tension in marriage. And it can either, can you do this with me? Uh-huh. We're going to, we danced on Wednesday night. We might as well do it here, right? Yeah, no, just kidding. So there is a divine tension in unity and you can either le- just lean back. Like this can be your, your tension as you're walking along or this, lean into me, this can be your, your tension where you're leaning into each other. You're leaning one way or the other. But there's this place where you lean in together and you work it out together, right? And then you just sway a little bit. No. So like, <laughs> so, but there, there, there's this place of where you, where, uh, what does a hard, hard look, a hard heart look like? A hard heart looks like one that's unyielding, unfeeling, callous, distant, isolating, scarred, inflexible heart. That's what hardness of heart looks like. A hard heart can't be penetrated. Many times hearts are hard because the heart itself has gotten hurt. And it says, I will refuse to allow myself to get hurt like that ever again. And all these walls go up. And, and there's a, a commitment to distance rather than to intimacy. And there's walls to protect out of fear. And it's really just the hardness of heart is a safety mechanism of protection that kills the unity of God in a marriage. So Jesus talks about this. And many times, you know, in marriage, if, if, if we want our marriages to go well, we need to take the ownership of our own hardness of heart. Both parties need to take the ownership of our hardness of heart, whether that's displayed in like anger or aggressive tones or running to silence or distance or isolation. The first thing that needs to happen to heal hurting marriages is a repentance from a hardness of heart. It reminds me of something in our marriage, I mean, we've been married for 23 years, but I remember, I think it was like 15 or 17 years in, we, we had a great marriage, it was wonderful, but there was this one discussion that we would have periodically that we would just always end up in a fight. We just would just not understand each other around this one thing. No, nobody, uh, we know that nobody no, else has that None of you that ever dynamic. had experienced I mean, just, that. Like, yeah. 
And it was really painful, and it was really raw. And you felt, I mean, when you have a fight and you don't resolve it nicely, it, it hurts a lot, right? It, it's over time, you're trying to go back to it and have it again, and you're trying to go back to have it again. And he doesn't see my perspective, and I'm not seeing his perspective. And, but we, we didn't give up on it. Right. It wasn't nice. I don't recommend it. Maybe we're just slow learners. But <laughs> I remember I read a book. And over that time, God used that book to kind of shift our conversation. And I realized when we had that dialogue come up one more time, we had a significant breakthrough in an area in our communication that had just been blocked for 15 years. That's a long time. And there is an opportunity when we have significant blocks in communication to say, I'm just not going to try again. We've tried yeah. to have this conversation so many times over and over again, and it fails. And I think that's the picture of what you're tempted to do in areas where yeah. there can be hardness of heart. And I want to share that because, number one, it, it's a real story. It's part of our story. But number two, when you are allowing God to pull you together, even when you're not sure you can get through or you're not understanding and you continually feel like isolated or rejected or misunderstood by the other person, that God can bring something that in a moment will unlock a piece mm -hmm. where you can actually, we've actually come closer together in that area out of that one encounter. Yeah. So things that you might think would take a thousand years for God to fix, he can fix in a moment. But it all starts with this place of cultivating uh, intimacy and connection and being like, you are worth fighting for. I'm not fighting against you. I'm fighting for us. And we have to get through some things sometimes. And it's not always easy. Yeah. But it starts at that tender heart. Well, and that's the picture of, of, of Genesis when God creates the male and female. It's, it's that he creates two strong individuals coming together, like both coming with armies not to fight each other, but coming with armies to, to join with each other, to, to say, hey, we're allies here. And so, and, and you know, God added uh, Eve to Adam as a helpmate. Well, there's places in scripture where God is defined as our helpmate. And it's not that he's coming as like littler than us. No, he shows up with everything of who he is, right? And that's what a healthy marriage looks like when both parties and, and, and Eve is showing up to Adam with everything of who she is, not subjugated, not less than, not like beat down, but saying, no, I'm, I'm here and I have gifts of the Lord. I, there's anointing in my life and God has given calling and, and it comes into this picture of unity where you're pulling together and you become a mighty force in the, in the earth. You become a mighty force. So um, what you were talking about, hon, is something that I've seen happen in discipleship so many times. So when there's pain points or areas that we fail, it's not a reason to give up. Like just in discipleship, when you sin, when you make a mistake, right? Sin means to miss the mark. When you fall short, you make a mistake in discipleship. It's not that you're now a failure. It's showing us, it's showing you the area that you need to work on. The area that like you need more growth and development in. And so many times in marriage, when we have a conflict, when we have a point of, of conflict, it's showing us areas that, hey, we need to put some intentionality into growing in this area. It's not a failure. It's a, it's a display of where we need to grow better. Amen? 
All right, so let's land this plane here. So if Jesus defined one of the main problems and break down a marriage, how do we, uh, as a hard heart, how do we keep our hearts from being hard? How do we keep a soft heart? I want to give us four points here, and then we're going to end praying a blessing over you. So I, I like what Dan Fairley says, that forgiveness uh, that, is, that is in our marriages is not based, when, when we offer forgiveness in our marriages, it's not based because what you have done is forgivable. No, I forgive because I have been forgiven. Isn't that the gospel? That God has forgiven us? And so this isn't like, sometimes abusers will like hold this, this over somebody like, you have to forgive me, right? Like, we're not talking about that. We're talking about true forgiveness in, in, in relationship where like, you know, the, the forgiveness I extend is because I'm forgiven, not because what you've done is forgivable. And it, and forgiveness also doesn't mean that an abuser can uh, demand it so that you have no boundaries. Right. Okay. So it's not an absence of accountability. It's not an absence of correction, right? But it, it yeah. means that in the absence of abuse, we're working this out yeah. because we have offered forgiveness because we've received it from the Lord. Yeah, it, it's, it's not a mechanism to escape responsibility for abuse that I've done, right? Nobody, everyone gets to own their mistakes in life right all right nobody gets a pass yes we have to come to god we have to, you know and he washes us he forgives us but we got to own and take responsibility for it amen all right let's <laughs> so forgiveness is uh number one how to keep a, a, a soft heart and not a hard heart operate in daily forgiveness forgiveness is the everyday grace of your closest relationships it is not the weapon of last resort yeah? It's not the weapon of last resort. It is the everyday grace of your closest relationships. If forgiveness is the weapon of last resort, we're doing it wrong. Okay? Number two, start with joy in the Lord. So joy is a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's part of, of what the Holy Spirit brings to us. And if we're trying to derive our joy from our spouse, they will disappoint us. Now, they're, they're what the result of a healthy relationship brings joy and gladness, but ultimately, it's not her job to make me happy. It's my job to go before God and find the joy of the Lord, right? And so, operating, spending time with the Lord, spending time so that, uh, that we become part of that source, part of that head, part of that head waters from which when our relationship with the Lord flows out and impacts those around us. We, we, come, we, are not, we, we come to the relationship as, as givers, not as takers. Okay? So operate in joy. Number three, have self-awareness. This can also come from reading God's Word. We see that God has a perspective that's different than ours. When God has a perspective that's different in ours, it is up to us to adjust our life to his perspective. Okay, we can, we can become... Are you going to interrupt me? Okay. I, if, I, I am. I'm sorry. We have a funny story of a guy. Uh, his wife is in the middle of labor. And he, his, you know, she's given birth. She's in transition. And all the dads will know the error he made. But he was like, Ow, honey, you're hurting my hand. <laughs> 
You know, like there's times when you're just gonna misunderstand each other and maybe say something that's really just not very emotionally intelligent. Okay? And she's probably gonna be upset. And you're going to grow. And that's the practical expre expression of what it looks like to offer forgiveness and to grow in self-awareness. And you have to be able to say, oh, you know what? That was a pretty dumb thing to say. I'm so sorry. Like, I really wasn't taking into account what was going on with you. And that's the growth journey we go on. Yeah. So we have to. So the, the thing is this. As human beings, if we allow it. So I'm going to say, if we allow it. If we if we allow it to happen, we can become someone that is unloving and therefore not easy to love. Yeah. We can become someone not easy to live with. And when we, we need to have self-awareness to say, you know what, Merle, sometimes you're just real hard to live with. <laughs> and you need to help make it easy on her. Right? And she should also help the same way, reciprocate. So if we, if we let ourselves, if we allow ourselves to, we can start to destroy the bonds, the primary bonds that God has given us in our life. And um, we can actually become disrespectful and not easy to respect in our life, depending how we live that out. So growing in self-awareness. Number four, we need to keep being a giver, a grower, and a learner in our marriages. Keep being a giver, a grower, and a learner. We need to have couples that accept each other, but also are committed to growing. So I accept you for who you are right now, as you are, I accept you. And she stands and says, thank you so much. I love that you accept me for who I am. I love that, but I'm going to keep growing, and I'm going to keep pursuing and becoming more and more like Jesus, right? That's, that's the picture, excuse me. So keep being a giver, a grower, and a learner in our marriages. And um, where we commit to loving our spouse right where they are, but our spouse says, thank you very much, and I'm going to continue to grow and become more and more like Christ. I'm going to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit continue to grow in my life. And we help that in one another. Isn't that what God does with us? He accepts us where we're at, but then he says, come, let's go on a journey. Come, let's go on a journey. I love you. It doesn't change where you're at. I love you. It doesn't change my love for you. But as we walk together, change and transformation starts to happen. Sure, you want to talk about the gifts, uh, the, the, the encouragement, sorry, the encouragement cards? Oh, sure, go for it. Sorry, I thought, I thought you were just going inter to interrupt me. Go ahead. Um, so one of the things I really wanted to talk about is we spend so much time looking at what happened when the curse came. If we go to Genesis 3, it says, God speaking to Eve, he says, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And that rule means dominate, intimidate, and manipulate. And the word desire that the woman is to have for her husband means to retaliate and usurp authority. And it creates this vicious cycle that is not at all like the picture of oneness that we talked about when we talked about the picture of the Trinity. So to rule, dominate, intimidate, and then to retaliate out of that same thing back so if we're going to break that cycle we have to do some things that god showed us to do number one he walked with us he walked with adam and eve in the garden daily in a personal relationship and we have to have that in order to walk in what god has called us to do number two he gave them a commission fill the earth subdue it rule over it 
And now he gives us another commission to partner with him in the restoration so that we don't stay stuck in Genesis, uh, Genesis 3.16. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And the reason why I'm tying marriage into the coming kingdom of God is because this, when done the way God wanted to, is going to replicate from generation to generation. And that's the original design, pre-sin, to fill the earth and build God's culture. And we can prophesy all day about the harvest that's coming and how we're going to reach the ends of the world for Jesus. But it's going to come through us modeling a different way in our families and in our marriages. That's how significant what we're building for. We way out of time. No, no, I put my hand up for you to grab it. Oh, I didn't and see you. And you kept talking, so I'm I just sorry. put it down. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking, I didn't see your hand. That's all right. Um, and so I just... But that, so that's the Great Commission, though. So that's the, the Great Commission. The Great Commission cannot be accomplished apart from this, is what she's saying. Mm -hmm. The Great Commission to, to go into the earth, to preach the gospel, to s bring the kingdom of God, to see people say that it cannot be accomplished apart from this because it's a multi-generational commission. And so, like it or not, every one of us have been children in a marriage, right? And, and if you are married and you have children, you are raising children in a marriage. And so it's important that we do this well. There's a ministry that's going into um, the Middle East, and they found the best format to do that is to send grandparents, mm -hmm. a married children, a married couple that has children and send them with the business into a town where the gospel is not yet. Mm -hmm. And they are finding that is the most successful way of seeing a, a community of believers planted. Because there's a multi-generation. So why do you there. think the enemy is fighting so hard against unity in your marriage? Yeah. It's not just about you and how you feel. There is God's eternal purpose planted from the beginning of time when he said, I'm going to put a man and a woman in a garden and tell them to fill the earth. So it's small, but it's big. So it, as we close, if you can just um, stand and we just want to release a blessing over the uh, community in our region. If you're not married, you can stand for, you know, your family or people in your life. Um, at the back, as we leave today, there's little pink cards just at the back table where people at our, our Sweetheart Banquet, they wrote words of encouragement, scripture verses, prayers of blessing. And I want you to take one. I want every couple here to take one, even if you were there at the Sweetheart Banquet. Take one for you. But I think there might be a few extra. You could probably take one to give to someone, slip it in their box at work, mail it to a neighbor. I just, God, we're just praying that God uses that as a prophetic word of encouragement for someone else. But yeah. we wanted to pray and speak life as yeah. we end this. So to, uh, specifically to all the couples who are married, engaged, dating, we want to declare this blessing over you. We want to honor you, number one, because we, uh, you bring stability to our church and you bring stability to our region. Uh, we, wanted, we want you to know that you are a gift to this body. Your relationship is a gift to our church. Your relationship is a gift. Your bond and your attachment has given us strength, and we are truly grateful. 
the strength that you bring to our region, the nobility with which you uh, treat one another, has given grace to this region as well. The kindness, the love, the forgiveness that you share as a couple in your union has a profound and lasting impact in the earth. Your marriage matters. Your marriage matters. Your marriage is helping to create the future. And so we want to bless you in this role. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your heart today. I thank you for every married couple here today. Every person who's married, every person who's engaged, every person who's dating, every person who is in relationship with somebody who is married. <laughs> Father, we thank you, Lord, for your picture, the original intent of marriage. We thank you for the unity that exists in it. We thank you for the dominion mandate that's given to it. We thank you for your heart to see your kingdom come, to see your will be done. So Lord, if there's places of hard-heartedness in us, we just repent. And we come to you again, God. We ask that you would forgive any place of hardness in our hearts where we've harbored something against our spouse. Lord, we come before you in Jesus' name. God, we forgive because you've forgiven us. We release. We let go. We come to you for our source of strength and joy. God, we know that we can become difficult. But God, we, we come to you. We, we are all in this journey of becoming more like you and becoming more like Christ, more Christ-like. So God, we commit to continuing to give, to continuing to hold fast, to be intentional. God, to continue to sow and husbands, as husbands, we, com we commit to continuing to provide it an environment for what you have deposited in our wives to truly shine and flourish and come to full bloom. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening today. We would like to invite you back to our services starting at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more great content from Newport Church, check out newportchurch.net or visit our YouTube channel. To get the right one, search for Newport Church in Elm, PA.